Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, it's gotten a little cloudy out there now today, but when I walked up here this morning from the house, it was, it was so beautiful. The sun was out, the air was crisp and clear, there was frost on the ground. It's really, really beautiful. So if it's going to be cold, that's the way you want it to be, you know. Well, let me ask you a question here. How do you feel about fine print? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? The fine print. Usually it's in a contract or an agreement of some kind, and, and you know, on the, down the bottom or subsequent pages, there's all this stuff, little, little writing, you know, that you typically, do, do most of us read it all the time? But we're legally bound to it, whether we read it or not. Uh, and so I think they put in fine print, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just, oh, we've got to cover this, and, and they don't want to take a lot of space to do that. And, and also there's things, I think there are sometimes some things that they, really don't want to talk to you about, but that are part of the agreement that they put down there. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, here at the church, Dave and I were looking over the finances and trying to find some ways to, you know, save some money and cut back. And, and <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the uh, company we were using for our dumpster uh, had increased the price several times during the previous year. And it's like, well, how can they just do that? And, uh, well, we talked to them, and um, sure enough, guess what? It was in the fine print, okay? And that, that they could, in time that they needed to raise the price, they could. And we still were stuck in the contract, even though they, so we had agreed to that. But turns out that uh, when we actually got to looking, we were missing that page in our copy of the contract. And so, you know, that gave us some leverage and way out. But anyway, so this is about six weeks, two months before the contract was supposed to expire. So we said, no, look, we're not renewing it. Uh, you know, we didn't even have this portion about raising it. So we're not renewing it, uh, on, you know, when the contract comes up. And they said, oh. The contract also says, and this was in stuff that we had, said that the only way you could cancel a contract, the, can, the contract would automatically renew from year to year unless you notified them in writing within a 30-day window that was 90 days before the end of the contract. You know, it isn't until you get down to the end of the contract you start looking at stuff, right? And so they were telling you you have to wait a whole another year. And because of the, their, you know, having left out part of our contract, we were able to get, we said, no, we're not doing it, and we were able to change. But the point is there was the fine print there and it was like a gotcha, right? Well, you signed it, the fine print is there. And uh, so fine print is really important. We tend to ignore it, right? How many of you, when they do the new update of Facebook or whatever, and oh, you have, to, you want to, have to approve the agreement again, you know? How many of you have sat and read that whole thing? Okay, good. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? That stuff is there. Well, in our sermon series, uh, we've been talking about getting to know Jesus better, and what we have seen is this, that Jesus values weakness. Okay, he values weakness because when we are weak, that's when we find ourselves in a position where we are driven to trust him and to experience his, his power, his strength, his ability to work in our lives. And so we really grow when we are weak. Uh, Jesus was willing to 
risk offending people in order to help them. In other words, he cared more about people, cared enough about people that he was willing to put the relationship at risk. And, and we talked about how we need to love people that way. Uh, we saw that he highly values faith. And okay, but not only does he highly value faith, he also expects us to have it, okay? So he has an expectation of us in this relationship. Uh, and then he hates self-righteousness, which most of the time we can jump on board with that until we realize we're the self-righteous ones. Uh, but so he hates self-righteousness, and then he expects his followers to know and share his heart for people. I mean, how, how much does he care about people? How much does he love them? And he expects us to understand that and to you know, let him work in our lives so it changes our hearts to love and care for people the way he does. And finally, last week we talked about Jesus values and pays attention to people we prefer to ignore. All the people who, you know, don't make the grade in society and culture and the popular, Jesus cares about them and pays attention to them, and, and we should as well. We shouldn't be making those divisions. We should care for all people. And so we see all these kinds of things as we've looked in um, the book of Luke to get to know Jesus better. So my question to you today is, is there any fine print in this relationship with Jesus? Do you know what I mean? The, the gotcha kind of thing? Is there anything like that? Well, I would say to you that there is. But Jesus writes his fine print in big letters and covers it up front. Okay? But it is a gotcha kind of thing. And I don't mean gotcha in a negative, ha, 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 I got you. I mean it's, I got you. Okay? So let me just throw this one out there and then we'll go to the Word and look and see how uh, Jesus' fine print that's in big letters talks about this. And this is the point. Jesus expects to come first in your life. Always and in everything. He expects to come first. So that's sort of a gotcha, isn't it? This idea of, okay, this relationship, I come first. I've got you in this relationship, okay? So let's go to the Gospel of Luke, which is where we've been getting these from. <clears throat> Chapter nine. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to take one from under the chairs there and follow along. We're starting on page 1193. <clears throat> Luke chapter nine. <coughs> Excuse me. Starting in verse 23, Jesus speaking, he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So, so let's go back and work our way through this just a little bit. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, and I, said, I want to be a follower of Christ. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to have received his forgiveness and I want to be a faithful follower of his. I want to be a, a disciple, we, we might say. If that is your desire, he says, okay, here's what goes with that. Here's the fine print. But it's in big letters, right? It's not hidden away. Here's the fine print. And that's that you must deny yourself. 
Deny yourself. What does that mean? Well, the word deny yourself means to say no to yourself. You say no to yourself. And, and I don't like to say no to myself. Do you? Well, you, you might like me to say no to myself. Do you like to say no to yourself? I mean, this sounds crazy, right? But it's, it's like, uh, you know, I'm working on trying to eat better and, and you know, and process lose weight and all that. And, and so then everybody else sits down with a bowl of ice cream. I have to deny myself, right? I say no to myself there. Well, that's, that's small pickings compared to what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about you need to deny yourself, say no to yourself once and for all up front. And then you need to leave it, live that out every day. In other words, if you're going to follow me, the choice you're making is to, follow, to say no to yourself and yes to me. That's the choice that you're making. And then, yeah, you need to live that out day by day, moment by moment. But you need to settle this issue. Okay, it's not about my way anymore. It's not about my desires anymore. Okay, and it's more than that. Not only must you deny yourself, it says, and also take up his cross daily. Taking up the cross. Now, we've, uh, you know, in our uh, day and age, we, that's sort of like a figure of speech, isn't it, right? Bear your cross, the cross you have to bear, all that kind of stuff. And we get that, and we're, we think it's about, you know, hard things that we have to deal with and we can't escape. And that's, that's right. But when Jesus was talking about to his disciples here, they had a whole different picture in mind. Because guess what? They saw people getting crucified. And so what would happen when they saw someone bearing a cross, what was going on here was this is someone who has now been condemned to die. They have probably been beaten mercilessly uh, to the point of nearing death. And now this cross has been put upon them, this heavy burden that they have to bear and they have to carry it outside of town where they're going to be crucified. So, so they saw that and, and wow, what an image for them. And he's saying, you gotta do this daily. Well, they knew he didn't mean literally, right? But so what does it mean? Well, the idea is this. When you are bearing a cross, this means that you're no longer making the decisions for your own life. Someone else is now making the decisions for your life. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, guess what? You're not making the decisions for your life anymore, okay? You, you're letting me make the decisions for your life. Um, then, not only that, they were suffering, pain, difficulty, striving. And he says that we need to get up every day already having settled it, that whatever comes my way this day, whether it's hard, whether it's uncomfortable, whether it's painful, in physically or in relationship, whatever, I've already settled it. I'm gonna do that today, I'm following Jesus, no matter what the cost is to me here. Uh, it also meant that this man was not coming back anymore. Right? He's headed on the cross out of town. He's not coming back ever again. And so every day when we get up, if we're going to do this, we have to get up with this awareness that, you know what? The Lord may lead me today to do things or not do things or say things or not say things or whatever that might change things for the rest of my life. Things that I can't come back from. But I've already settled it. That's what I'm gonna do, because I'm following Jesus. And really, it does go beyond this, even though we don't usually have to do this in our life much, this, this portion, right, and, and the idea of saving your life and losing it, and, but in, in other parts of the world, 
The committed Christian gets up every day knowing that I may not live to see the end of this day because of the way the culture is or the religion that's around them, right? They know I may die today. And so really we're talking about getting up every day and saying, okay, this day my life is yours, Lord, to do it as you please. I will live it for you, whatever that means. I will do this to the death if necessary. The last verse there that we read, he talks about being ashamed of him or, you know, and, and he says, you know, you can't be ashamed of me if you're going to follow me. And, and the idea of this is, I don't want to be that person. You know what I'm talking about? We find ourselves sometimes as a Christian feeling like, wow, I need to say or do or not say or not do or whatever. And here I am. If I'm going to follow Christ, this is what i got to do. But if I do that, I'll be that person. I don't want to be that person. See, this is, I'm ashamed. I don't want to people to think of me that way, and at that point I'm choosing my reputation above the Lord. By the way, interesting, his example in Philippians chapter two, he made himself of no reputation. He calls us to do the same. So my reputation is also available to you, God, what people think about me. And so let's state this this way. So Jesus expects to come first in your life, always and in everything, before your personal desires, before your plans, before your comfort, before your reputation, and even life itself. Jesus is to come first. Now, I'm sitting on this side of the table, Bible open, explain this to you. Let me come over here and be the person hearing this on the other side. I'm going like, hey, wait a minute. That seems kind of over the top, if you ask me. That's, that's, that's not realistic, it's not fair, it's, it's kind of crazy, okay? And as just someone hearing this, I think that's, that's a reasonable response to that, and we'll talk more about that later. All right, so let's go on, let's go to another passage, Luke chapter 12, page 1200. In that Bible that's in the chairs, Luke chapter 12. All right, before we read here, um, anybody get any Christmas cards yet? Anybody send out any Christmas cards yet? Did any of those Christmas cards say peace on what? Earth, peace on earth, did any of them say it? Anybody have one yet that says that? Do you suppose you'll get one of those before the year's over? Or maybe even send one? All right. Verse 51, Jesus says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Yes, I see it on all the Christmas cards. Do you suppose that I came to, to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. I said, wait a minute, okay. What's he talking about? And he goes on, he says, for from now on, now that I've come, and after I come and leave and now that I've been here, from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three, and father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the list could go on, right? He wasn't trying to give us an exhaustive list here. He's trying to make it clear that choosing to follow Christ can and often will bring division into your life. 
division between you and other people. Some of you experience this. Now, in other parts of the world, this is really bad. When, where there's a whole non-Christian religion that's you know, big and powerful and entrenched. And, and when someone chooses to leave that religion and, and become a follower of Christ, it creates immediate division. It divides families. And, and uh, very, sometimes officially, in other words, they will sometimes have a formal pronouncement of your death. You are now dead to us. As far as we are concerned, you don't exist anymore. You are dead. Now, in our culture, we don't quite experience that. But let me ask this question. After you became a follower of Christ, did any of you have any family members or friends who weren't real happy about that? Okay, yeah, see, a lot of us have experienced those kinds of things. And because here's what Jesus is telling us, that if we are going to be followers of Christ, we need to settle this up front, settle up front, that I'm following Christ, whether anybody else I know does or not. I'm going to follow Christ, even if this brings division into my family, even if they are not happy with it. I'm going to follow Christ, and we need to settle that, okay? You need to settle it. You, you might be the problem. I, um, yeah, well, let me just see if we're, I'm trying to think where I want to jump on this. Yes. So, and here's what will happen. If, when you've chosen to follow Christ, and, and maybe it's not a problem now, but if, as you follow Christ, the Lord's going to lead you something to something that you are going to do or changes you're going to make, and all of a sudden it's going to create um, inconvenience for your family, extended family, close family, and it's starting to become a problem. And what you're going to notice is that, wait a minute, we didn't get invited to that well, we always used to get invited. We don't get invited anymore. You know, or it may be one of those things. Um, where you find out when they get together and you're not there, guess what they're doing? Talking about you. It brings division. Following Christ can bring division. If in, like in my family, my extended family, my family, I don't have that problem. I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, but I, let me tell you a story. I, I had a cousin. Let me back up. My family's from Missouri, the majority of them, right? And, and they've moved some around the country over the years. And I moved my mom's family. She was the seventh out of eight children. Big family, lots of cousins. And over the years, I pretty much lost touch with them. Once I, you know, uh, I got, came to Christ and then moved away. I really lost touch. But through Facebook, you can get back in touch, right? And I thought, hey, this would be good. I can reconnect with family, with these people that I was kids with and we hung out together. And who knows, maybe the Lord will open up some opportunity for, for me to, to be a witness there. And, and so I did that. I found a, one of my cousins, a, a lady who was a year older than me, and found her on Facebook and friended her. And then, you know, I see family because sometimes family's talking and I, I like things, you know, and this kind of thing. And then one day, some conversation started on her Facebook page. And it's like, I don't, I don't even remember what the issue was, but I thought, oh, 
wow, this is a good opportunity maybe to begin a conversation about, you know, that could open the door to have a conversation about faith. And, and I don't remember what it was about, except, but I remember I, I on purpose, asked, just asked a question. And it, it, the question didn't make a statement as such. It wasn't intended to be. It was just a genuine, you know what I mean, how you ask a question that you're hoping produces some answers that now you can talk about. And I wrote this question, and then it wasn't very long after, all of a sudden she's posted right under it. She says, oh my, exclamation point, I don't think we want to go there, period. And then it wasn't very long at all. I couldn't find her on Facebook anymore. Like that, unfriended. Now, this is not a big deal for me in my life. I haven't had a close relationship here, but you understand what I'm saying? Even though I hadn't got the Christ, she had a sense that we're going there, and we're not going to go there. See, it brought division. Okay. Um, let's go on to chapter 14. Jesus gets stronger. The fine print gets bigger. Luke 14, verse 25. It says, Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, let's just stop there. Great multitudes went with him. That sounds, he's succeeding, isn't he? The crowds have grown, they're big. Uh, do you think if all of a sudden we had so many people in this service that we have to start another service when we go, hey, cool, right? The multitudes are coming. <clears throat> so then we're going to look, what is Jesus' strategy for dealing with this when the crowds grow? Well, let's see what he does. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus, wait a minute. This is not the way to draw a crowd, is it? Well, he was talking about what, what it takes to be a follower of his. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We already looked at that in the other passage, but he repeats it here. If anyone comes to me, verse 26, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The word is cannot. Cannot be my disciple. Not might not be able to, might not work out so well. Not really. No, he says, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a follower of mine if you do not hate your family. Okay. Now, those of you who've been around any length of time and have ever heard this passage uh, referenced are aware, and I think it's rightfully so, that um, there's a figure of speech being used here. You know, there's all sorts of different kinds of figures of speech, the way we talk about things to make a point. Has anyone ever said, oh man, I don't need another one of those. I got a million of them at home already. Have you counted them? No, it's a, a figure of speech that's an exaggeration, right? To make a point. Well, this is a, as a figure of speech that's an exaggeration as well. When Jesus says you've got to hate, he's really talking about your devotion to him. That's the point he's making. Jesus says, your devotion to me and where you put me in your life and your love for me compared to how anybody else has in your life, it's going to look like hate. It can look like hate. And, and they tell you, when, when family members feel like they've been rejected because you're following Christ, sometimes they feel like you what? Well, why don't you love me like you used to anymore? You don't, if you loved me, you wouldn't. What? They may not say it, but it's like, wow, do you hate me? And do you know parents, sometimes parents 
uh, who, you know, the whole big family, and they've all grown up in the same religion, and then their child, uh, adult child, whatever, becomes a follower of Christ, I mean, devoted follower of Christ, and begins making changes, they become very saddened, and they, they take it personal. They think it's about them in some way. Let me give you an example. My parents, uh, when I first came to Christ, 19 years old, and in a couple of years, next two or three years there, there was a lot of tension there. A lot of division in between me and them. And, um, and one time, we actually, at some point, we, we were able to, a little bit later, sit down and have a conversation about this. And I remember looking at each other and saying to me, yeah, well, we, we ask each other, what did we do wrong that you would have gone and done this? Very, very sad. And see, they felt this is a, it's a personal rejection, right? It's a rejection of mom and dad. It's what it feels like to them. Could be a rejection of a spouse. It's the way it can feel. And so this idea of hate, what Jesus is saying is, I come, for, in fact, this is really what he's calling us to, right? Jesus, we saw the idea of being willing to accept division and making the decision. Division or not, I'm following Christ. And now he says it's even more than that. All these relationships. So here's the deal. He says, I should come first before every other human relationship, including your family. Come first before every other human relationship, including your family. You see, Jesus requires you to choose between him and anyone else. He requires you to choose between him and everyone else. And I think this is an upfront decision again that has to be then lived out as these things come up. But this doesn't mean you throw your relationships away. I mean, you're going to hate your family, right? Your husband's wife, your parents. No. we go and look at the rest of the Bible, what's it teach us about how to treat our parents? Great honor and respect, right? So when Jesus is saying this here, he's not telling us that we stop doing that. No, we keep doing that. In fact, we do it more. We do it better, hopefully. He, he doesn't tell husbands and wives to leave each other. Oh, you're a Christian, you know, leave them. No, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, hey, he's talking about a situation where there's two non-believers. Neither of them know Jesus. And one of them comes to receive Christ and, and commits to be a follower of Christ, a faithful follower. He says, don't leave the unbeliever. Stay in that marriage and minister to them. Be a better husband. Be a better wife. Do all that you can, right? Because who knows? You may be able to win that person to Christ. But he does say this. He says, but if they don't want that, if they say, I didn't sign up for this, right? I didn't sign up to be married to some Jesus freak. And they want out of the relationship, he says, let them go. But you see, it's not about us rejecting people, is it? It's not about us rejecting people. It's about us choosing Christ before every other human relationship, including our closest family members. And so this is the way this is going to work. Jesus requires you to choose him when others refuse to choose him. To choose him even if it affects your relationships. You know, you, know, you start saying, you know what, I can't, I'm, I know he's my nephew. I know it's his first birthday, but I, I can't make it to his party because you're doing it on Sunday morning and I, I go worship in my church on Sunday mornings or, or I can't be there till late uh, because of that. Or maybe it's, you know, I can't go out partying anymore with you guys. I just can't do that. 
Or you go to family gathering and you leave before because it gets, it gets out of control and you know, that's a problem for you. And so I can't be there anymore as a Christian. See, all this is hard, isn't it? It's hard. It produces division. It can produce this sense of, man, you don't love us anymore. And relationships get torn. And Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow me, this is the choice you've made. So let me put myself back over here again, right? It's kind of, um, I think we're getting on borderline crazy here. What you're telling me, okay? So I'm hearing this. That's just like, it seems like it's over the line. This is excessive. All right, let's go one step further. Let's continue in the same passage here. Go down to verse 33. Jesus is summarizing this whole thing. And he says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. All that you have, every possession, doesn't mean you actually give it away, but you've already made a decision, what? I forsake this. It's, it's, it's not mine anymore. Lord, what do you want to do with it? I've, I've already settled this. If you want to get rid of it all, I'll get rid of it all. If you want me to use it for something, use it for something, whatever. And it's not just stuff. This is everything. This is my opportunities, my abilities, uh, my relation, everything. And, and so this is the rest of the fine print. Have you ever seen fine print that says, and by the way, I'm paraphrasing, but by the way, if we missed anything, that's included. <laughs> right? If we missed anything, it's, it's still included. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so we, he comes first before anything and everything else, period. That's what he's saying here. Okay. If you knew somebody that was in a relationship with someone, could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, friends, whatever, and, and you put their name up there instead of Jesus, right? You know, Bill expects to come first in your life and, you know, before your desires, plans, before every other human relationship, including your family, before anything else, period. What would we tell that person? Get out. Get out of that relationship. This is not right. It cannot stay this way. If you're staying in this relationship, it cannot be this way, right? Wouldn't we do that? Why? Because that's crazy. We don't give that kind of role in our lives to anybody. And so Jesus, he said, I would say to you, this is, it is crazy. And I know I keep using that word, but it is crazy. Unless. It's crazy unless Jesus really is who the Bible says he is. Anybody else, any other human being, that's crazy. But if Jesus isn't just another human being, he's really who the Bible says he is, then it makes sense for you to put him first in your life. It actually makes sense, because this thing, the Bible says that he is God. He's God the Son, God in human form. He is God, just as the Father is God. If he's God, and he's making these claims on our life, Does God have the right to make those claims? Yeah. If he's really the creator, as the Bible says, it says that he made all things and without him was not anything made that was made. He made it all. He's the creator over all things. That means he created me and you. Okay. It makes sense then 
that he would have this role. Now we might be worried about it. Okay, yeah, he has the right to this role because he's God, because he's a creator, but guess what? He's also the designer then, isn't he? He's the one who's designed us and he knows how we work. He knows what the purpose is for us and he knows what it takes to accomplish that. And so he says to us, you gotta put me first in your life. Look, I know how this works. I know what is going to enable you to become everything that I made you to be. I've designed you for this. Put me first in your life. It makes sense then to put him first in our lives. Yeah, he is the judge. Paul talking to, to these philosophers in Athens says, by the way, there's coming a day when he, God is going to judge the world by this one who rose from the dead. He is the judge. And if he is the judge, he's the one who we're going to stand for before and who is going to evaluate our lives. Hey, he knows how he's going to judge us. And what's he saying to us? Put me first. He knows how that judgment is going to go. Put me first. You won't regret it. And then when you consider what the Bible says about him, how he loves us. He loved us so much that he came and died for us, paid the penalty for our sins. You know, I was figuring out the other day, if, if, if from the time I was six, say, by the time you're six, you're usually old enough to know the difference between some things that are right and wrong, right? And so time I'm six, and let's say I make it to 76, 70 years, and if I sin just once a day, that's over 25,000 sins that Jesus paid for on the cross for me. And I don't think there have been very many days when I've only committed one. When you add in, okay, not only did you do something you shouldn't do, did you not do something you should do, did you do it with the right heart attitude, what's your thoughts like? Are you thinking the right way or not? Uh, right? I mean, it adds up pretty quick, doesn't it? And if he loved me so much that he came and he took the guilt for that and the cross and, and, and he, then he says to me, put me first in your life. Put me first. If he really is who the Bible says he is, it makes sense for you to put him first in your life. It is absolutely logical. It is the only logical thing to do. And that's what he calls us to do. Now, so the real issue here is, is Jesus who he really said he was? Is he really who he says he is? Is he really the one that the Bible describes? Now for me, that's easy. That's been settled. I mean, you know, historically we proved Jesus rose from the dead. We have the reliability of the word. We can demonstrate that, uh, what he's done in my life. And it's just so many different things, okay? But you may be here today and that's not quite where you're at. You know, you aren't living this way, and, and I should say this. Um, you know, a lot of us could be here today, we've put Jesus first, we've done this, but we, we find ourselves struggling living that out day in and day out, right? We need to keep doing it. We need to step back today a little bit and say, okay, wait a minute, wait. Jesus said, I cannot be his follower unless these, this is the way I'm living. Maybe I need to resettle some of these issues. Revisit those things. But you might be here and say, I don't know, I, I haven't really settled that. I, I haven't done that and I, I'm not sure who Jesus is. It, it, it's, you need to figure that out. You need to take the time, make the effort and say, I gotta find out who Jesus really is because if he's really that, it makes sense to do this. 
And if he's not, it doesn't. Now, we've entered the Christmas season. Um, and Christmas, the Christmas story, as we look at in the Bible, really does address a lot about who Jesus really is. The Christmas story addresses these things. And so for the next three weeks, that's what we are going to focus in on as we focus on the Christmas story. Uh, the sermon series is titled Upside Down, When God Becomes a Man, He Turns Everything Upside Down. I mean, think about this. Men all the time are trying to be God, right, for themselves. Well, this is different. God becomes man. And so we're going to talk about this. Next week, we're going to talk about the claims of Christmas. What are the claims that, if Christmas story here, what claims does that make on our lives? Uh, the next week, we're going to talk about the power of the Christmas story, the supernatural stuff related to the Christmas story. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the joy of Christmas. Jesus calls you to put him first. Do you need to do something today about that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that he is God just as you are God. Father, these claims that he makes on us, uh, we know they're right. We know that he is who he said he was, all of those things, Lord, but I pray you'd challenge us in our own lives about uh, reconnecting with that if we need to, or maybe making that decision for the first time that yes, Jesus is gonna have this role in my life. But Father, don't let us stay, try to, don't let us try to stay neutral on it. Expose the lie that we can be neutral about it. We're either going with what Jesus said or we're not. Give us no peace until we settle this. And then Lord, help us, help us, help us to remember and understand and live this out day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. Uh, this kind of topics, they can be pretty tough, so I'd, if you have any questions or want to talk about it, I'd love to do that, okay? Thank you, you're dismissed.